to welcome everybody and Merry Christmas. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, I want to contend tonight that this is maybe the single most powerful image and metaphor of Christmas that exists. Yeah, happened at the three o'clock service as well. So let me, let me unpack and explain this a little bit. I think of all of the symbols, of all of the metaphors that exist for Christmas, I think this is the most poignant, the most significant, and maybe uh, the most encompassing of the truth of Christmas. Now, of course, we'd all kind of naturally drift towards Christmas trees, stars, candles. The nativity's got to be high on the list. I mean, these are kind of the classic default images that we think of when we think of the Christmas story. But I think this is perhaps a little more powerful. It's not just any trash bag, if you're familiar with this. This is a a trash bag filled with wrapping paper and boxes and gift bags from Christmas. Now, the world is divided into a couple categories of people. Now, there's one category of us where you anticipate all of the Christmas mess that is going to ensue, whether it's later tonight or tomorrow morning. And so in anticipation of all of the mess, you have already gotten the trash bags ready. You're prepped, they're staged, and you know exactly where they are, and as soon as the first gift is open, you open the bags. Some of you may be married to this type of uh, obsessive personality. I get it, I understand. And then there's others of you, you kind of feel the situation out as it goes along, and in the midst of all of the unwrapping and paper everywhere, and you stop being able to see the gifts because all of the mess starts to cover it. You're like, ah, we need to get a trash bag. I'm in this category of people. I'm kind of a a respond to a situation. And so you pull out the trash bags and you start stuffing away to clean up all of the mess. And then there's a last category of you who live in chaos. And I don't understand you at all. I'm not even sure that we could be friends or travel together because you just leave it. For like the day or maybe even into the next day and you just step on it and walk through it and it doesn't seem to bother you. And just knowing that this exists in your homes bothers me. (laughs) But those are kind of the ways that we categorize how we deal with the mess of Christmas and how the mess of Christmas ends up in this bag. But it's not just the mess in our homes on Christmas morning after we've opened all the presents. You see, we do this with all of Christmas. We have wrapped and illuminated and made as shiny and as beautiful as possible the entire Christmas season. For for us, there's some connection between kind of hiding the mess of everyday life and the beauty and the majesty of the Christmas season For many of us, it distracts us. That's why we love Christmas. We love whether it's just the day because for a moment we get to press pause on all that is happening in our lives. We get to kind of insulate and protect ourselves from maybe the mess of emotion that we feel in the midst of this Christmas season. For some of us, there's a lot of kind of mixed emotion that goes into Christmas. Some of it is joy and excitement, but there's also for many of us kind of this kind of lingering kind of sadness because of someone who's not there. Or maybe there's a strong kind of element of frustration and annoyance that you feel at Christmas because of who is there and who chose to come in town unexpectedly and just announce themselves at your door on Christmas Eve that you've decided to bring to church, but don't make eye contact in this moment because they are with you. 
But Christmas is complicated, and so all of the messy emotions that we feel, Christmas distracts us from it. Maybe for you, you're in the middle of a messy circumstance. Maybe this is a mess that you created that you're trying to work through and undo and untangle. Or maybe for you, this mess has happened upon you. Maybe you don't use the word mess, but you would describe it as unexpected, unplanned, and largely unwelcomed. Maybe this was something that happened with your career, or something that you were continually navigating with your health, or a messy circumstance with a relationship. There's a lot that goes into Christmas, and so this season, we love it because we get to distract ourselves from the reality of all of the mess that we live in and with. For some of you, I know that you have gone to extra lengths this Christmas to try to make your family's Christmas really shiny and really bright and really merry because even if just for a moment, for a series of weeks or even a day, you get to protect them from the harsh reality that comes on December 26th when life has to go back to normal. Or maybe you're the type that you like Christmas because of all the music and all of the movies and all of the distractions, you don't have to hear about the state of the world right now and how messy our world seems to be. But kind of whatever category of mess you're experiencing this Christmas, for some of us, we believe that if we can just contain it and keep it separate from Christmas, then really we get to experience the magic of what Christmas is all about. But that's why I think this is such a powerful metaphor and such a powerful image. Because it reminds us of just how messy this Christmas is, just how messy our lives are. But it's also, I think, a powerful reminder of just how messy the first Christmas story was. But that's actually great news for us. And so if you'll permit me, with our time together this evening, I'd like to walk us through the first Christmas story as told in the Gospel of Matthew point out some of the messy details that seem very similar to the messy details of our world and life, and then I'll kind of let you know why this is actually, in fact, such great news. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them. If you have a phone and you want to follow along, please do so. If you have a phone and you're checking the score of the Cowboys game, I see you. I know that that is happening. Santa knows that is happening. So watching y'all. So if you open your phones to your Bible app, Or we'll put it on the screen. Not the Cowboys game, though. We're going to be in the first chapter, the Gospel of Matthew. This is one of kind of two accounts of the details of the birth of Christ, the other being in Luke. And so as we get ready to jump into the story, what we need to know about a little bit of the background is this is in the midst of a really messy world. This all is occurring in this small kind of province in Judea which has found itself to be occupied by the Roman Empire. Now, at that moment in time, the Roman Empire was occupying a lot of provinces and a lot of areas, all in the name of peace. But peace at the extent of kind of military conquest, power, and might. And so the Roman Empire is sweeping across the known world at this time and subjugating people into their empire. High taxation, low morale, And this is kind of the background of part of the story. Now, to make it even messier, this happens with a group of people who have been in relationship with God for a long time. And they've started and stopped and messed up and got it wrong time and time again. And God has been patient and God has been faithful with them. 
And they would regularly hear from God about the ways that they had made a mess of things and the ways that they needed to pivot and to change course and to live and to act differently. And God would send them these messages through prophets. And then there'd be an opportunity to course correct. And then things got so bad that they stopped hearing from the prophets and stopped hearing messages from God and stopped seeing evidence of God at work in their world. The mess had grown so big that it drowned out any presence of God's presence at all. And so for 400 years, the Jewish people are in silence, wondering if God has abandoned them, if God has quit on them, or if God was ever real to begin with. And this is the background and the messy details of this very first Christmas story. So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now you can easily imagine if you're Joseph, how that might feel. The person that you're engaged to be married to goes to visit her cousin for three months and comes back pregnant. In that moment, your entire life is turned upside down. The person that maybe you trusted most, that you thought would never betray you, betrays you. And so in the midst of all of the heartache and the angst and the emotion and all of the messiness that would swirl inside of those circumstances, Joseph is trying to navigate what it is that he's supposed to be doing. Life in this moment in time in this world was difficult. And Joseph's life just got a whole lot harder and a whole lot messier. And so he's presented with a dilemma. The person he loved, the person that he's engaged to be married to, was pregnant. She's claiming the Holy Spirit. Well, that hasn't happened before. And so how do you navigate that? This is what Joseph decides to do. He says her husband, Joseph, was faithful to the law. He was a righteous person. He wanted to be obedient to the law of God. And yet... He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. See, if Joseph would have been faithful to the law, what would have been required was for him to make a public proclamation, an announcement of Mary's unfaithfulness. And that would have triggered some kind of legal action and some financial consequences, but mostly it would have been a lot of public humiliation and shame, both for Joseph and Mary, but primarily for Mary. So Joseph is caught between wanting to follow the law and still loving and caring for this person who he's trying to navigate a really messy situation with. And so the conclusion that Joseph comes to is, well, I'll just divorce her quietly because obviously you can't continue to move forward with somebody who's pregnant with somebody else's child. This is the conclusion Joseph comes to. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle to remember my dreams. And so Joseph in this moment is presented in a dream with a message from an angel. And this is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So in the midst of a messy world, in a really messy set of circumstances and probably a lot of messy emotion, Joseph gets this really strange message that in the midst of all of the mess, something different is happening. 
that the child that Mary's carrying is going to be named Jesus. And he's going to actually be the one to save people from their mess. He's going to be able to save the world from its mess. And it goes on to say that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, those messages that they used to hear long, long ago. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, I think the reason that we like to compartmentalize all of our mess and the reason that we try to keep our mess out of Christmas and why this bag is such an important metaphor is because we believe two things about mess. The first thing that we often believe about our mess and the mess of the world is that it points to the absence of God. We were handed down some version of a faith that says that if you're a good person and you try hard, then only good things will happen to you. And then one day we wake up and bad things have happened, messy things have happened. We find ourselves in a life that we never expected. And so we begin to wonder where that promise went wrong. How come God doesn't seem to be present in the midst of all of the mess? Whether it's loss or it's heartbreak or whether it's just really complicated circumstances, either of our own doing or those done to us. The mess in our life seems to point to the absence of God, that if God loved us and cared about us, God would be noticeably present. But when you look at the world, or when you look at your world, you don't seem to feel or sense the presence of God with you. And so the conclusion is that God's either off-duty, uninterested in you personally, or not real. The other thing that our messes point to is not the absence of God, but the obstacles that we've put up between us and God. Perhaps the mess that you're experiencing is mess of your own doing because of decisions and choices you've made, whether in a moment or in a season. And you think, well, if God knew all of the mess that I've done, the mess that I've created with my own hands, God wouldn't want to be present in my life either. God wouldn't want to be with someone like me. These are the, con- the conclusions that we come to when we look at all of the mess around us and all of the reasons we want Christmas to be so free from all of this mess. is because if even in a moment we can hope that there's a better tomorrow, that the reality that we're living in isn't real, and that something else could exist. You see, the power of the Christmas story is not the absence of mess. And the power of this metaphor is not that the mess has to be contained. The power of the Christmas story and the hope that we celebrate is that in the midst of all of the mess, God is with us. Not despite the mess, but because of the mess in the world because of the mess in our lives and because of the mess in our hearts. God chooses to be with us. And so not then, not now, and not ever will mess prevent God's presence with us. This is the hope of the promise that was made long ago, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I don't know what kind of mess you brought in tonight, what kind of mess you're trying to hide from in the midst of this Christmas season. But what I can promise you is that God is with you. God has been with you. God is with you. And God will always be with you. That is the truth of Christmas. You see, the story of Jesus' life begins with a name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is one of the first things spoken over Jesus' life. And the last words that come out of Jesus' mouth, he says to his disciples, he says, Behold, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. This is the story of Scripture from the very beginning until the very end, that God is with us. And God will always be with us. And that means there's always the possibility for a better tomorrow. No matter your mess, no matter the messiness of life, there is always hope because God is always with us. And so whether it's later this evening or tomorrow morning, whatever point you choose to pull out this bag. Let this be a reminder that the mess is okay because God is with us. Friends, let me pray. Gracious God, thank you for the ways that you love us. God, thank you for the ways that you are with us. And thank you for all of the ways that you are working in and through us. God, sometimes the mess is tiresome. God, sometimes the mess is discouraging. Sometimes the mess just feels too overwhelming. And so in the midst of all the messiness of life in our lives, God, help us to feel your presence. Help us to know and trust that you are with us. And help us to go into the future unafraid. We love you, and we are grateful that you love us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.